Welcome home. I say this every single week, and I mean it every single week. Welcome home to those of you in the room, and welcome home to those of you online as well. Dee made a comment to me yesterday, I think it was. She said, there are people in our church who we, Dee and I, have never seen their face below the eyes. It's true that. And there's people in this room, and you look across the room, and you, you, there's people you probably haven't seen for two or three years below the eyes. But there's people we've never seen below the eyes. And that, that actually potentially and optionally comes to an end at the end of this month. Let me digress slightly. Last night, we went to our South African friend's home for supper. Now, if you've ever been to a South African home, you'll know, for supper, you'll know there's one thing you're going to pretty much get. You can be guaranteed you're going to get meat. Meat. Now, now Canadians love their meat, don't they? I know there's vegetarians in the place, and I understand that. And, but South Africans take it to a whole nother level. And you know that you're going to get meat, much meat, and more meat. In fact, last night, I think I had the meat sweats. Have you ever had that when you've just eaten so much meat? You just, it's like caffeine, and you're like, start to sweat. But we had, a, we had an amazing time at our friend's house last night. And one of the reasons that we had that, it wasn't just because of the food, but the food was involved, is because we accommodated each other. You see, they, they asked us, what food can you eat? What food don't you like? Just for information, mushrooms and fish are of the devil. Um, you could disagree, but you would be wrong. Um, D doesn't eat gluten. Imani doesn't eat lactose. And so they asked us that, and we explained it to, that, to them, and we went to their house. And, and then as we came in, we did the, the usual take off our shoes and put our coats in certain places where they wanted us. And they, we, we accommodated each other. And we had an incredible time. See, next, next Sunday, we're still in the same situation. But on the Monday or the Tuesday, uh, the Sunday night or the Monday, I can't remember which is which, but the mandatory mask wearing ends. Now, it doesn't end that people wear masks. It just means that we don't have to anymore. It becomes optional. Many people will continue to wear masks, and many people won't. Can I say that both are okay? And let's act with maturity and respect for each other. Can I say, if you're a mature follower of Jesus and a lover of people, and someone that you're talking to wants to talk to you, and they request for their sake that you wear a mask, the mature and respectful and honorable thing to do is, yeah, no problem. See, sometimes we, are more, we care more about our rights than our responsibilities for each other. If someone demands that you carry their bag a mile, take it two miles. Now, I, I don't know if you've heard that before, but Jesus said that. Maybe we, maybe we use it for our mask wearing or non-mask wearing. If you're a mature Christian and someone is not wearing a mask, don't demand that they wear a mask while talking to you, unless there are underlying health problems. 
Can I remind us all of Romans 10, 12 verse 10? Think. It says this, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Think more about your responsibility to each other than your personal rights that you may think have been impinged whether you're a mask wearer or not. That's what church is. That's what community is. That's what family is. We honor. That's what Christianity is. And it's about time that the church worldwide got back to that. Let's pray. Let's stand while we pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you. I thank you for this morning. Thank you that we've been led and drawn into your presence, God, by the music, by the songs, by the words that we have sung to ourselves and to each other and declared over each other and over ourselves. I pray, God, that as we, as we open our hearts and minds, Lord, that your word will put, penetrate and bear fruit in us. I pray, God, that over these next weeks as we look at, at health, it won't be just another subject that we listen to and put away on, our, on the bookshelf of our memory, but, God, it will be something that we grasp hold of, that we implement in our lives, that we, that we are reminded of often because you want us to be healthy disciples. You want us to be a healthy church. And I pray that each of us, God, will make that decision in our lives. Amen. On Thursday, you can grab your seats. On Thursday, I was sitting in my office, and if you've never been to my office, you're quite welcome to come up. It's not an off-limits place. But I have these, this corner window right round that overlooks the car park. And it was Thursday afternoon, and it was snowing. And I love watching it snow. I love snow. I don't love slush. I love white snow, not brown slush. But I love watching big, thick flakes just come down. I, just to clarify, that's not the only thing I do when it snows. I do do some work. So just bear with me on that one. But... Every snowflake, and we know this, we've heard it so many times, but every snowflake is unique and different in its own way. But there's nothing really, really eye-catching about a single snowflake. It just drifts down. And we can, we can actually miss a single snowflake as it drifts down, but when they start to come down together, when they start to come down and they, start to, they begin to join together, there's something of beauty about the snow falling. And when they join together, when they fall, they begin to change the color of the world. It's amazing. A few days ago, it was brown. Do you remember that? It was brown. It's, it was slushy. It rained. And then it froze. And it was like, it was like driving on the roads in Africa, and I've driven on the roads in Africa quite a few times. It's like this. It, it really is. 
And it was like, it was like that. But it was brown. And then suddenly as the snow drifted down, it wasn't one snowflake that turned the world, our world, white. It was the combination of every snowflake together. You see, there's so much we can learn when we just take a few minutes to observe nature. As I said last week, uh, last year our goal was as one. And we looked at being as one together in our worship, in our giving, in, in our tragedy and triumph, in our building, and in having Jesus at the center of everything we do. And this year... We don't disregard that. We don't put it, as I said, on the shelf and, and leave that behind. Well, we've, we've done that. The as one thing, that's fine. We actually take that and we build on the as one. And this year, as we look forward over this season, we build on the foundations. We don't leave last year behind. We continue in our alignment with an undivided heart, but we want a healthy heart. And this year, our focus is health in, in so many different areas, but it's on health. And over the last few years, we've been warned over and over and over again, don't get sick. Be careful. Be sanitized. Be safe. Don't get sick. And we've taken precautions, rightly so, but don't get sick. But you know, there's a huge difference between don't get sick and be healthy. And I think we, we at times, maybe are in a place where we've, we've spent so much time not getting sick that we've forgotten how to be healthy. We want healthy disciples, relationally, physically, financially, and spiritually. We want a healthy church community, relationally, physically, financially, and spiritually. We want a healthy church organization, relationally, physically, financially, and spiritually. I am sick of just trying not to be sick. I want us to be healthy disciples, healthy families, healthy community, healthy organizations, healthy people. And this week, I want to look at being a healthy church community. And then next week, we're going to look at being healthy disciples. Now, in reality, there's so much crossover between the two. In the last couple of years, we've really just tried not to fall apart and not be sick. As a church, we've gone online and the team, not just the staff, but the team have been incredible in facilitating that. And we have people in this room that probably joined us online. We have people online right at this moment. I'm talking to people that may have never been in the church. And can I encourage you? Come along. Come along, you, you, you're, you're not experiencing the full community. You're experiencing the church, but you're not experiencing the fullness. And we want to encourage you, be in the room, be part of who we are. And we've looked at each other behind masks and the smell of hand sanitizer. And as an organization, we've had to reduce, sadly, staff. We've reduced programs and meetings and We've actually reduced tactile relationships as well, haven't we? Where we get to be in the same room with each other. And I feel it's time to stop treading water and time to start moving forward as a church. But I want to ask us the question, have we 
in this time where we've had time to reflect and time to sit back and, and time to breathe, has church become a side dish? Has it become the, the thing, the optional extra in our lives that we get to pick and choose whether we take it or not? And we've made it, some of us, a, an easy side dish. Someone a while back before COVID said to me, oh, now that I don't go to church, my life is so much easier. I'm like, yeah, of course it is. You don't, have to, you don't have to be part of a community. You don't have to turn up on a Sunday morning. You don't have to, I guess, engage and get your heart right with God. There's no one challenging you about the stewardship of your resources, your time, your money, your words. Did you know your words are a resource? You don't have to deal with those difficult people. Nudge the person next to you and say he's talking about you. So you don't have to deal with those difficult people who have problems. I don't have to show the love of Jesus to the people I don't choose to be with. I can just, I can just love the people that I like. I don't have to forgive people. I can just walk away and not deal with them anymore. See, being part of a church community can be hard work. It can be hard work because the Bible tells us that we have to bear with each other, we have to forgive each other, that we have to love each other, and love can be hard work. Henry Nguyen, who is a, an incredible, he's just such a simple guy, but such a deep thinker, said this, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. It's not nice, that, is it? And let me say, if you haven't got anyone in, like that in your life, you're probably that person for someone else. Obviously, I'm talking to the person next to you, not to you. Because you know, God's speaking to the person next to you, obviously. But God often deliberately walks those people into our lives for their sake, yes, but also for our sake. You know where it, it talks in Corinthians about love is patient, love is kind, long is, love is long-suffering? Do you know how we know that? Because we have people in our lives who make us impatient, who, who cause us to have to dredge the very bottom of our lives for a bit of kindness and not to hurt them with our words. Now I realize that in this room and even online, but not everyone has had a great experience with church. And probably most of us could say we've been hurt by someone in church. It's the reality of life. But God hasn't changed his plan. He hasn't said, oh, we're in the 21st century now and things don't look great. For church, it's a bit messed up. Maybe, I, maybe I've got plan B. I'll work out plan B. No, no. God's plan is still through and in the church. And we want to be a church environment where people flourish and be healthy. One of my favorite, I guess, verses about church, and I've probably got a lot, so I could say I've got a lot of favorite verses, but Psalm 92. 
just says those that are planted in the house. Not those that attend the service. Not those that every now and then turn up when they feel like it, when it's convenient. But those that are planted, that put their roots down deep. That, that aren't swayed by the storms and the circumstances of life. That draw life from, but also put life into. See, a tree puts life into the soil as well as drawing life from a soil. Those that are planted in the house will prosper, will flourish. They will bear fruit in their old age. I don't want to get to an age where it's like, well, that's it. I've, I've had my lot now. I, I'm on the scrap heap of life. We, we don't have people like that here. We have people, our older people are bearing fruit in their old age. Because they're planted in the house. And maybe we need to learn from them. So what does a healthy church look like? A healthy church is not defined by the absence of conflict, may I say. But it is defined by the presence of God. Scott McKnight, who's a theologian and professor and just an incredible writer, says this, the church is part of the good news of Jesus. Jesus' mission was not simply to save individuals. I don't know if you realize that. Most of the New Testament was written to the body, the church, a church. Not to you, not to me, but to us. And we need to read it in that way, in that community. Most of the verses that we love and take on board for our own lives are actually meant to be outworked in community. He created a people, a community, an institution to bring his enduring light, truth, peace, and goodness into all the world and every part of human society. He built a church and he calls this church his own, his bride, his body, his people. You see, maybe your experience isn't that in that. Maybe, maybe when you think of church, it doesn't, that doesn't spring to mind. But that's the path that we're on. That's what God has called us into. A place, a community to bring his enduring light, truth, peace, and goodness into all the world and every part of human society. So I've, got, I've just got a whole heap of scriptures, and I, I, I must apologize to the team at the back because as I sat there and we're, we're singing, more scriptures began to come to me, and I've just thrown them down. So you might not get them all on the wall behind me. But I encourage you, take notes. Jot them down. Go away. Think about them. Meditate on them. Ask, what does this mean for us as a church? First one in the, in the message, and I, I love how the message talks about some of the things. Not everything, but some of the things, particularly church. Ephesians 2, 20 to 22 says this. He used the prophets, the, the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, brick stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. See, I am fully convinced that what we have here, what we are engaging with both in the room and online is not a meeting, a service, or not just a meeting and not just a service. 
It's a building, a body that we're being built into brick by brick where God is saying, I'm home. I'm home. This is my home. Not just the church worldwide, but us, the local expression here in Circle Drive. God's saying, this is my home. I can put my feet up. I can be at home. Stuart and Candy said to us as we walked through the door, just treat it like home. So I went through all their drawers and took what I wanted to take, and I didn't. But God's saying, this is my home. Presence of God is here. Yes, we carry the presence of God in us, but there is something significant about us when we gather together as the church. Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered in my name, that's church. There I am in the middle. Now, he knew that we would carry him with us wherever we go, but he said, There's something significant about gathering together. The church is central. To God's plan. It's where he speaks and he acts and he changes lives. Menninger, who is a psychologist, a Christian psychologist, said absolutely everyone that is happy, radiantly alive, are living for a cause beyond themselves. When we're part of church, yes, we come together. Like the snowflakes, we come together. We add ourselves to something bigger, and we begin to change the color of the world around us. We speak. We carry his words of life and of love. Again, Carl Menninger said this. He said, love cures people, both the ones who give it and the ones who receive it. I love that. We can feel broken. We can feel that we're at the end of ourselves. I've got nothing to give, but I choose to love. And as we love, God does something in us, and he does something in the person that we choose to love. Ephesians 1.23, the church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. He chooses to act here. He chooses to speak here. He chooses us to be the vehicle of taking his presence to the world around us. That is incredible when you think how messed up we are at times. That is incredible how, how sometimes in our interaction with each other, we unfortunately break each other within church. But God still chooses to use us. God still chooses to say, that's where my home is, and that's where I'm going to establish my presence and take my presence to the world. place where God speaks, acts, and fills everything with his presence. I've got a a few scriptures here, and I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to throw them out so that you you can go away. Because the presence of God is something incredible. And church, as we gather as the church, is where the presence of God is felt more than any other place in Chronicles 
1 Chronicles 16, 27, it says that the presence of God brings gladness, strength, honor, and glory. Exodus 33, verse 14, says that the presence of God gives rest. Psalm 16, verse 11, says that the presence of God brings joy. That's that expansive with energy. He brings fun. Acts 3, verse 19, says that the presence of God brings refreshing. That word refreshing, refreshing means recovery of breath. You know when you get to the end of the week and you feel like you've just run a race and it's like... <sighs> sound like I'm pregnant and in labor at the moment. That's not what it meant to sound like. But you, it's almost like you're collapsing over the line and you walk into church. You breathe deep. And there's a recovery of breath in the presence of God. We are not here to sing songs and be motivated by a motivational speaker. We are here to worship the living God and be in his presence and our lives and our minds and our hearts be empowered by the word of God. It brings recovery of breath. You know, as we, as we come together, as God fits us together, there's so many scriptures that alludes to each part functioning together. I want to read Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. Again, I, I, I love the, the picture in here. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher to train Christians in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we all, moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. No, no prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. Just an aside there. It's not saying that we don't have babies, it's saying we're not going to allow people just to live childishly, not childlike, living ch demanding. We're not, going to, we're not going to tolerate that. We're going to encourage people and empower people to grow up. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we grow up healthy in God, robust in love. I love that phrase. I remember reading this years and years ago, moving rhythmically and easily together. And the best way, the best way I could think of at the time is a video, a quick video I want to show you now. If we could throw that up there. Isabel through to the finish. There's the belt oh. lap. The Canadians only down by 0.39. Can they make it up on the final lap? Weidemann, Malte, Blondin, women's team pursuit, gold medal at stake. Push, Isabel. See, every time I hear that phrase rhythmically and easily, this was a long time before I came to Canada, all I could think of was speed, was speed skating. I love the rhythm, the flow that they have. 
Unfortunately, the Japanese fell just after that video, and that was it. And we won the gold. Awesome. But you see, that's what we begin to look like. When we work with each other, when we function together, when we pray together, when we love each other, we begin to look like moving rhythmically and easily together. It says that we, we're robust in love. That word robust means strong, vigorous, durable. It keeps going on. It doesn't give up. Relentless love. A love that doesn't dissolve at the first sign of disagreement. A love that digs in deeper and grows larger to cross the chasm that can come from different perspectives. Which is what we see at the moment. A passionate love. We're robust in love. We're healthy in God. Healthy in our identity because we are in Christ. Knowing who we are is great, but it's much more important to know who we are and know who God is. As I said earlier, Psalm 27, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of God. Good has become a mediocre word, but their goodness is, is just above and beyond. It encapsulates who God is, the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart and wait for the Lord. This is the land of the living. If we are followers of Christ in this place, we are in the land of the living. And I know that many of you are just holding on to that at the moment. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I am I'm confident of this. I have a conviction that despite circumstances, I'm still going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Ephesians 4.31 to chapter 5 verse 2 says this, Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I mentioned last week that I found out I had high cholesterol. Now, the meal with my South African friends last night probably doubled it with the amount of meat and cheese we ate, but that was my problem. But you see, when you start to get healthy, when you make a decision to get healthy, it's not just what you take on, it's what you have to give up. And the Bible here says, give these things up. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every other form of malice. And we can maybe think, well, I, I'm not into fighting. I don't go out at, to Walmart and punch people in the face. I'm not into that. I don't, I don't tend to have road rage. Not, not often. I don't flip the bird too many times to people as they cut me up or take my parking space. But there are old behaviors that we need. See, Jesus, when he's talking about the stuff of life, the behaviors, he said it's not just the things that come out. It's actually what goes on in here as well that's a problem. The thoughts that we have about people, the offenses that we hold on to, and sometimes the way that we talk about each other. Oh, it's gone quiet. You see, we can sometimes 
disregard sin when it's greater than what we think is our own until we actually begin to look at our own lives and say, oh yeah, there's sin there as well. People want me to preach about sin as long as it's the sin that's, that's not in their life, that's in someone else's life. Teach about sin because that person is sinning. No, I'll teach about sin because you're sinning. And I do. And when I think about brawling, when I, when I get mad in here, when I, when I say those words in my head that are malicious, still very quiet out there. See, to be healthy, we have to deal with those behaviors. It doesn't mean to say they won't come up. We're still dealing with that stuff. It just means to say that we do deal with it. Old ways, old behaviors, old ways of looking at people, old ways of thinking, old ways of holding on to offense and bitterness. Ephesians 5, verse 26 and 27, says this, Christ's love makes the church whole. Get this. Get this phrase. His words evoke her beauty. Can I I say that again? Christ makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. See, when Jesus makes his home here, and he begins to speak over us, they bring out beauty. And people, people outside look at that place, and they can't explain it because of the diversity of the church, economically, racially. They look at it, how do those people manage to stay together in community? There is something beautiful because they're moving rhythmically and easily together. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. You see, we, the church, are the bride of Christ. Coco Chanel said there is no ugly bride on her wedding day. Christ looks at us and he sees our beauty. And not only does he see it, his words evoke the beauty of his bride. You see, we... Let me just give you these verses, and I'm not going to go into them, I'm not going to read them, but 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26 talks about one body functioning together, honoring together, needing together, rejoicing together, suffering together. I encourage you to go away and read it. But as we, as we think about that, as we think about who we are, there's one scripture, and it, it's almost like a, a sign-off at the end of a letter that Paul writes. You know, the yours, yours truly, yours faithfully, yours sincerely. Paul just says this at the end of one of his letters. And many of us, if we've been around church, know it. And we've probably said it almost as a, as a liturgy. But I think it should fully describe who we are as a church. If one verse could sum up how I want the world to see us as the church, it would be this. I could get it. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God 
And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The love of God. The grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Imagine people walking in through our doors, experiencing just that. God's love, Jesus' grace, and the community of the Holy Spirit. That's something to aspire to. That's something to, to, to get healthy for. Why wouldn't people want to be part of that? Why wouldn't people, when they see that in your life and in your community and how you deal with triumph and tragedy, when people look at that, they, like, why wouldn't you want to be part of that? Grace, love, and community. See, just as I finish, let me jump ahead to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Unity, flowing to the very edge of the garment, which I talked about before. I want each of us to reflect and ask ourselves the question, do I work for the unity of us? Or is it for me? Am I prepared to put aside my preferences for the sake of the whole? Not your theology. Your preferences. How you like things. Am I prepared to put aside my preferences or lack of knowledge for the one? Am I prepared to put aside my rights for the sake of my responsibility to my brother or sister? I don't know if you know, but it's Black History Month this month. Have we as white people sat down and talked to brothers and sisters from different ethnicities and cultures why this month is important to them? Or have we just dismissed it and said, well, what about a white history month? It's not fair. Have we talked to people and said, why is this important to you? Why is it placing value on you? A couple of years ago when the Black Lives Matter, not the organization, the, the emphasis on it sprung up, I had to take a long, hard look at my own life. When a family that we love and cherish and that have been with us through many years and and were deeply involved in us. And the mom said to me that how I'd made her son feel less than by some words that I'd said. And I cried. We cried together because she knew it wasn't my heart, but just because it wasn't my heart didn't mean to say that it didn't hurt him. And I had to take a look at myself and say, how can I do this better because I didn't do it for the unity of that young boy and myself. I don't want people to feel less than by my words. I want my words to evoke the beauty in the same way that Jesus did. My words to evoke the beauty of our racially, culturally diverse church. Can we do that? Can we, in our dealings with each other, can we move rhythmically and easily together? Can we have a life that reflects Jesus? Can I, as an individual within this community and within the world that I live and work in, have a life that reflects Jesus? But can we have a church that reflects Jesus? 
A church that's full of grace, full of love, full of unity. A healthy church is a church that is full of God's presence and a people that seek after his presence. We all can play our part when we make church a priority, not an add-on extra. A healthy church is where we contribute of our time and resources. A healthy church is where we love, care, and forgive each other. A healthy church is where we outwork the goodness of God. Imagine what would happen if the world begins to see a church that is healthy, not at war with itself. A church that deals with its sin within our own walls, not tries to legislate for the world around us. A church that doesn't just have generations that attend a service together, but a church where the generations worship with each other, pray for each other, and learn from each other and honor each other. A church where different cultures and ethnicities come together as one, bringing who we are into this melting pot and bringing healing and hope together. Imagine a body of people that have committed to doing more than some meetings and programs together. A body of people who have committed to being in the presence of God together. And then carrying that aroma of worship into the world around us. See, when we worship, there is a smell, an aroma of the presence of God. And it doesn't just stay here. It stays on us as we enter our world. As we go into our workplace, our families, our schools, our universities. A church that displays the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the unity of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that my words will not bring offense, but bring challenge and healing. I pray, God, that out of what we've heard today, out of what we've sung today, out of what we've experienced today, it won't be it won't be what man has said, but it will be what you have said. God, I pray that our church will be a place that you could call home and that do, you do call home. And that as we gather, we will experience the felt presence of God. I pray that as those that don't know you come through our door, Father God, I pray maybe even that they'll be overcome by your presence. That before we even get to a church service, that people will want to know, what can I do to be saved? I pray that the presence of God will be experienced not only in the room, but online as well. As people sit in their living rooms and cafes, God, that they will experience your presence. Pray for those in this room or watching online that don't know you. That something that has been said, sung, or experienced, God, will cause them to open up their lives and make a decision to follow you. Amen. I'd love every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed, just for a moment. You see, in this moment, 
is when we give people an opportunity to make their peace with God, to say, God, maybe even I don't know you, but I want to know you. I don't want to know just about you. I want to know you and I want to be known. I want forgiveness from my past, life in the present, and a hope for my future. And in a moment, I'd love the opportunity to pray with you if that's you. And I'm going to ask you to do something that just indicates to me, because I love to know who I'm praying with. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to simply put your hand in the air, and then we're going to pray together. I'm not going to embarrass you. One or two people that are on team will see you. They may even, they may even connect with you after the service. You see, this is between you and God, but you're part of a community. And you may be doing this for the first time, or maybe like the prodigal, that young man that ran away but realized, I need to be home. There was so much better at home. God's calling you home. You've gone away. You've left maybe even your faith, but today you know you need to come home. Or maybe you're a young person that's grown up in church. And your faith experience within this community has always been under the umbrella of your caregivers, your parents' faith. But today God is saying, I want to establish my relationship with you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you know I'm speaking to you, whether it's coming for the first time, coming back home, or you're a young person that's grown up in church and you're saying, God, I want to know you. Maybe you're even online. You're in one of those groups. All I want you to do if you're online is hit the raise my hand button and then we're going to pray together. But if you're in this room and you're saying yes to Jesus right now, stick your hand up in the air so I can see you or one of the team will see you and then we're going to pray a simple prayer together. You're saying yes to Jesus, yes to his love, his grace, his forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you down here. You can take your hand down. Who else? Who else is saying yes to Jesus, to the grace of the Lord Jesus, being given what we don't deserve, being given life, the love of God? Maybe you've never experienced the love of the Father. Maybe you've never experienced the unity of the Holy Spirit. You're saying yes to Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity of making my peace with you. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I thank you that you have now forgiven me. Thank you for your grace, your love, and your unity. And from this moment forward, I am now a follower of Christ. Amen. Come on, church, why don't we celebrate the decisions that have been made here this morning?